0: In past episodes we've had the pleasure of speaking with ex LucasArts and Sierra employees David Fox and Al Lowe, and these companies often get the limelight when it comes to point and click adventure games owing to their output. But while these software houses have had a head start on the genre, others, others have caught up with the high bar set and exceeded it, and one such company is Revolution Software. Responsible for such titles as Beneath a Steel Sky and the Broken Sword series, Today, it's my pleasure to share time with co-founder Tony Warriner. Welcome, Tony. Hello there, Tony. Thanks for having me. Well, oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Tony, can you tell us how you first got into
1: game development? Games and development. Um, well, I guess it goes right back to the early eighties. I mean, um, you know, like nineteen eighty, when we were, we were all sort of, you know, me and my friends were all at school, and um, there was a sudden craze for electronics. Like you could build, you could buy these little kits from Tandy and um, Radio Shack, as they call it now. And you could build a radio or something like that, you know, little, little, little stuff like that. And it seemed pretty interesting. It seemed pretty, pretty far out compared to anything else you could be doing. Um, you know, you think about 1980, there's no computers, no mobile phones, there's no internet, there's nothing. So electronics it kind, of, it kind of seemed interesting. But the, problem with it, the problem with it was it was actually quite difficult. You know, you couldn't you couldn't just you, you could get a kit and you could build it and you could and it would do something that was quite interesting i suppose but you know you couldn't go but you could i mean some people did you, you looked at the components and you worked out how to build a new circuit but it, it, it wasn't easy stuff at all and then uh you know sort of the ZX the first computer i saw was a ZX 81 which a friend of mine had and and, and really it, it just blew a lot of people away that kind of thing because you could you could do stuff that was that was interesting, but it was much easier than what we'd been messing around with. You know, the, the electronics was difficult Pro- programming. These things, you seem to get a lot of bang for your buck. You know, you could mess around with it half an hour and you could, you could write a game, you know, it's just, it was just like amazing. I mean, nobody had ever seen anything like it before, you know? So that's how I got I mean, I mean, uh, I never got, I actually never had a ZX 81. I started saving money. I was doing a paper round and I started saving money and, uh, and I skipped the spectrum as well because I was still saving up and then there was this other computer called um computers links which was very which was kind of lots of these companies that were piling in. they all saw the success that Sinclair had and the Commodore 64 later on and they were all piling in and there was loads of them and uh, the, the links was just another one of these UK home computer things and I decided that was the one for me because it was easy to program uh, assembly code on it so I had one of those, and that was my first computer, and it's still it's still sat up there. You wanted to
0: you wanted to skip BASIC, and you just wanted to go straight in with the hard stuff.
1: Uh, well, no, not not exactly. I mean, you you you, you pretty quickly learnt uh, that that you could do certain things with BASIC, but then then you kind of you'd write some stuff in BASIC, and you go, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. And then you'd buy a game from you go to the Great Smiths and buy a game on a cassette, and you'd bring it home, and play it, and you would go, well, how have they done that, you know. <laughs> it's, it's much too quick. It's much too smooth. How are they doing the sprites? And pretty quickly, you know, we learned that you had to learn, you had to learn the assembly code to to get anything good out of it. So you you, you switch pretty quickly onto that.
0: And did you have anyone to help you to learn that, or were you just uh, working your way through the manuals that came with it and figuring it out?
1: you figured it out. I mean, there was nothing, no, no internet. It's hard to imagine. isn't There's no, you couldn't just go on the stack overflow, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's, 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 there's nothing. You, you, you had no connection with anybody. I mean, there were computer clubs and stuff and there's magazines, I guess, and those listings and, you know, you type the listings in and there'd be a few little tech articles here and there, but that was, that was about it. You know, so you just, you just put your head down. You, you know, it's one of those teenage things. You can just, you can just focus and concentrate, you know, and learn stuff.
0: You've got the time.
1: You, You've got the time, yeah,
0: and um correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first game you had published was obsidian, is that right in nineteen
1: eighty six it actually published, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. there
0: were some before that that did you try to get them published, or were they just the stepping stones on on getting to a commercial game?
1: I did a few things that weren't that weren't all that good, you know, I probably did two or three little things which I thought maybe these are going to be good enough to get published, and, and then they turned out not to be you know, I can't even remember if I sent them out um. Maybe I, I think I probably didn't, I think I probably knew they weren't good enough, you know, crappy little platform things, you know, nothing, nothing interesting enough. Um, but then there was this game called sorcery for the Amstrad CPC, which was, which was really quite, quite something special. You know, I think it was number one for like months and months and, um, I kind of thought that's the thing I, sh- I should be doing. So the next, the next kind of thing I did, which was Obsidian, was kind of based on that that kind of arcade adventure structure. And that one I actually finished and uh, ran up a few cassettes and sent them off.
0: That's interesting you say that because the reviews I've read said brilliant game, not necessarily original. So obviously it could see the influences from things like Sorcery, but it's still rated very highly. So um, it's interesting that you you quote that as your inspiration.
1: It does get, It did get reviewed well, actually. I mean, it was a bit embarrassed in some ways because I mean, it was, a, it was a. What was it? It was an AA. There's a magazine called Amstrad Action. Mm-hmm. It was an A. You know, you remember the Crash Smash and the, and the the, the Zap. Um, what was the Zap one? I can't remember what the Zap one
0: was. Zap Sizzler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Zap Sizzler. Yeah. So the so in a, in a lower and slightly lower lower tier was that was the AA rave, which was the Amstrad Action one. And uh, and I didn't really think it was good enough to get one of those, but it did. Um and in the same yeah this is the, there was there was another game called get Dexter, a French game,
0: yes that's, uh, um, an isometric game, wasn't it Very good yeah yeah game.
1: which which and technically exceedingly clever, I mean, if you look at it now and you got you go watch a video on youtube and and what it was doing, i mean it had a little 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 perspective objects, and you could like pull you could like pull a cupboard away from a wall and underneath it would be a would be like a key and, and it could do that because the key was flat, so i mean that was that was like. Amazing stuff, and it was it was it was way ahead of what I'd done in Obsidian, and and they and I think the same edition of uh, Amstrad Action reviewed their game, and, and it didn't even get an AA rig, you know, which i still I still feel bad about that, to be honest.
0: Well, it's nice to hear you talking enthusiastically about the Amstrad because I had an Amstrad CPC, and rarely do we get guests uh, other than perhaps the Oliver twins who, who rave about the Amstrad CPC. So uh, it's nice to hear that. Yeah,
1: well, that was. <laughs> That was that was my second machine after the links and it was it was um it, you know it was mainstream enough you, know, you write something and someone publish it and but it was a nice machine i mean i guess it was it was far, far enough along from the from you know there was lots of machines that failed the amsterdam was kind of they they kind of were a bit later and they they looked at what everyone else had done and they, they actually did everything properly and uh, they had a good shot at it for a while you know i mean these things were very short-lived I mean, I don't know how many years the, the Amstrad had four or five tops, maybe before, before it died to death like everything else. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was a nice machine. It was a nice were machine.
0: You, were you working on a um, 464 or 664? Can you remember? 6128.
1: I, 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 I had a four, six. I think Obsidian was written on a 464. Four.
0: Okay. Did you have any extra what? memory to help you to, to program that?
1: Not memory, but what made these things possible or, or much, much more pleasant was the fact that uh, you could get a disk drive for it. Okay. And you know, once we, once you moved off, I mean, writing a game on tapes was was pretty hairy stuff. If you once you had once you had discs, you could you could you could really do it because you could back them up, and you have a certain amount of confidence in what you were saving. You know, you save stuff on cassette, and it, it might it might not it might not done it. You know, you could, the next day you try it, and your tapes you tapes dead. So, mm. so um, you're on
0: your way. Then you've got your first game made and published, and you must have still been quite young at this point. Can you remember how old you were?
1: I would have been 16, I think, when that was 16. Yeah, that would have been like the summer of '85, I think. Yeah. So I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be um, doing exams, you know, CSEs and all that kind of stuff. But I just, I just forgot all about that. Didn't, didn't bother at all.
0: Oh, I okay. just wrote this
1: game. You were just, I just, you just this got game.
0: obsessed with the games rating,
1: did you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I had this. I mean, I, I'd already, I'd already thought I was having a bad time at school. And I'd already, I'd already fallen out completely with the whole system. And, uh, they, uh, they 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 contrived a, a way to block me from doing computer studies, which was the new subjects. that had just come in. Um, I think it all happened quite quickly. So I mean, the, the, the computer studies courses came in, and they 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 said, um, right, this this looks like maths. So we're gonna we're gonna get the maths teachers to double up, and they were gonna they were gonna they were gonna do computer studies, and that's and that's what happened. And the, and the maths teacher didn't. I mean, they they. They'd not seen these machines. They didn't know anything about them, but but maths teachers were the ones. And I and you know I I, I was I was not doing well at maths. I was I was like down in the bottom set, you know. And, and so they they figured out it was going to be a bit embarrassing because they, they, they worked out I, I actually knew what I was talking about with computers because we were already playing on these things at lunchtime, you know, where uh, we found them in cupboards and stuff. So they they had an idea. I knew what I was talking about. Um, but then they realised it would be, it'd be it would be hugely embarrassing if I was on a computer studies course and I knew more than the teachers did. So they so they, they found this they figured that they, they could get me on a technicality, which was which is that my maths wasn't good enough to possibly work, do anything with computers. So um, that's what they used, and they they they, they barred me from uh, from computer studies. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't have learned anything because I was already you know I, I was doing machine code and stuff. and You never got that far with. Um, with O level computer studies, so it was, it was, it was all going to be easy anyway. But I didn't need to do it, but I wanted to do it because it was going to be a more a slightly more interesting lesson than whatever it was. Mm. I was doing instead, you know.
0: So you you packed up school then? Did you did you go into college after yeah, that, yeah. or did you just say, right, I'm, I'm going to go into coding?
1: That was the that was the last straw. I think it was believe. the last straw.
0: Maybe a little bit of that that anger, that fire towards the school helped to fuel you.
1: A little bit yeah yeah oh it's the best thing that could ever happen yeah you definitely definitely fail at school it's, it's a great it's a great start in life
0: <laughs> so how do we make the jump then from uh you dropping out of school or finishing school and not continuing your studies uh, and then get uh, starting revolution software what happens next
1: so obsidian went to uh, a local company called arctic which was up here in uh, what was what was then Northumbria, the and they were probably about twenty miles from where I lived. Was this company called Arctic, um, which was which was started by a guy called a whole a whole guy called um, Richard Turner, and and at university he had a friend called Charles Cecil, and they piled up, started Arctic, and I think that I think the Arctic word I think that those letters are are a combination of Charles and Rick, I think, I think that's where that name came from. And so they, Rick was running the business. And I think Charles was doing, um, he figured out he could do these little adventure games. So I think they, I think Charles did like Adventure B, Arctic Adventure B, Adventure C, maybe, maybe there's a D as well. I think the first one, Adventure A, wasn't Charles. Um, so that's how, that's, that's, that's how I met Charles and, and, that can be seen as the, as, as the start of revolution in a way, because Charles was already into adventure games because he had this, I mean, for, I don't know why he did it, but for some reason he thought he'd write these, these text-based adventure games for Arctic. Uh, I don't know what made him do that, but that's what he decided to do. And he knocked out three or four of these things. And, and I guess that's where he got the He got the kind of hook for adventure games. I can, and, th- and those guys took my game, Obsidian, um, they, just by chance, they were one of the companies I sent it to. I think my mother suggested it cause she found them in the phone book. Um, and off it went and they, and they decided to publish it. And then pretty much straight away, we got, um, I got, well, I got, I got dragged into work there, which I was happy to do because it kind of looked interesting, you know, and we, and we, the first thing we did was to work on the, uh, the, the infamous, um, world cup 86 project, which was full of controversy. Okay, as you might, as you may or may not remember that
0: I, I don't. Can you expand on? Oh, did you, the World Cup itself was full of controversy with the hand of God, or do you mean the game had some controversy? The game, well, the
1: game, the game as well, because what it was, uh, I think there were. It was the US Gold had the license. Okay, uh, US Gold had this big license, but they ran out of time or something. It was too late, or, or they'd been. I don't know the full backstory, but they, they did. It was, it was. The World Cup was coming up pretty damn quick and there was no game and they'd paid for this license. Uh, so they, they looked around and they came to Arctic who had Arctic World Cup. They had a, a, some football game, you know, it was, it was not a very good pr- product, I think. But, um, one day Jeff, Jeff Brown of, of US Gold rolled up in, in, uh, this village, um, north of Hull in a Ferrari Testarossa. <laughs> did the deal there and then. And uh, and then we, and those guys got um, me and a couple of other kids that, that Arctic got got roped into to add a load of sub game things to to Arctic World Cup. So I did I did one where you, 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 someone would run and kick you'd kick a ball at the goal and someone would jump and try and it was a real simple stuff you know sort of joystick Daily Thompson sort of thing, uh, and that's what I did for that project. But then then they course this. They did very nice packaging for it. and It got released out. And then it started to dawn on people what this game was because they'd seen it. A lot of people already owned it, you know, football fans. They probably already had the game, and, it, and there it was, glossy packaging, and, it, and the same thing, with, with just a few extra stuff on an extra on an extra cassette. So that that rapidly turned into a bit of a PR disaster, I think.
0: A PR disaster, more for US Gold than for yourselves, I believe. It had the US Gold name.
1: Uh, for you, yeah, it was all your skull, but I guess there was a bit of industry flack as well. I mean, none of it, none of it, none of it came back to to me and uh, another guy Adam, had him who who who, 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 who I was working with on the actual software. But uh, I think it wasn't, it, it wasn't a good thing in the end. I think I think there was quite a lot of flack for it,
0: but some money in the coffers though to help with the you know the fledgling
1: company. I guess it kept, yeah. Well, I guess I guess there must have been. I I didn't even knew. That sort of thing but uh, it kind of kept Arctic going for a bit longer because I think things were turning turning for Arctic at that point I think it was the the kind of time when there was a lot of these smaller publishers were starting to fall and the bigger ones were starting to take over so so the US goals of this world were displacing the 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 smaller independents I think Arctic was kind of falling back into that kind of position you know.
0: Okay and then how do we then get to revolution is that the next step the chain or was there another a rebranding or another company
1: it's not the next step because i <laughs> was, i think there was a i think there was a falling out at arctic and then charles split off and he started a thing called paragon programming which was doing conversions for people like us gold um and that that moved down to london and i went i mean i was like 17 i think or 18 at this point maybe 18 and we all got dragged down to london to um, like three of us, three of us coders, and we worked in Battersea for a year or so for for Paragon doing doing US Gold type stuff. Um, there was a game. What was it called? What was it called? I can't remember what it was called. It was so long ago. Kind of kind of um, data soft type of things that were being licensed from the states and, and then ported onto uh, um, European machines. You know, often they were, they were Commodore sixty four type things. And they wanted them on the uh, on the Amsterdam spectrum. So we did that for a year or so. And I think that in a way that went quite well. Um and then US Gold hired Charles to, to run their development stuff. So he became head of de- head of development, I think, at US Gold. He went off to Birmingham. I came back to hull and just um started writing stuff freelance. So I did a couple of games then for Codemasters. Um death stalker things like that
0: okay oh there's a cat behind you
1: <laughs> <laughs> will
0: be. um so you were working be, yeah. with the the darling brothers then at codemasters or at least submitting yeah, yeah. your games to them yeah um, yeah i've heard stories of their their makeshift offices in in porter cabins did you ever have to go down and work in them or were you in the comfort of your own home
1: well we were all working up here in hull um just down the road from here actually where i am now but uh yeah, we'd go down. We'd get someone down there for every every month or so. We'd go down to Lemmington Spa, I think it was. We'd uh, we'd see one of the many darlings. It's it was quite it's a bit of a, it's, it's a funny time actually because there's so many of them. There was like Richard and David at the top, but there was like loads of them. It seemed there was like younger ones. There was like ten year olds that who were it's like sort of we were joking. They were, they were at least you might you might go and meet you have a big meeting and it'd be you'd be held by a 10 year old in a suit you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like the waltons of the 8-bit world <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah
1: it was like some school kid darling who, who, would, who would hold this meeting you know it was really funny and there was some wild there was some wild nights out in levington spa as well all sorts of crazy stuff and that and that went that was good. That went on for a, for a year or so, I suppose.
0: We don't really hear from the Darlings these days. It would be good to get them for an interview, but um, they, 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 they must to be around under the radar. Yes, yeah, maybe one day.
1: David Darling, I think I saw he, he had something mobile-based a couple of years ago. He was he was making some noises, but I don't know what I ever came of it. But yeah, they they disappeared. Yeah. So
0: you got some titles published with Codemasters. Masters. Um, can you remember any names off the top of your head?
1: Well, I think my one was deaf I think we probably only did a couple of them actually. It was my one was Deathstalker and Adam, Adam Waring, he wrote, uh, the other guy from Arctic, he wrote one called Ninja Massacre. We kind of, we kind of helped each other on, on each other's projects. So we did, we did those two. Um, and then what did I do? Yeah. Then I, well, then I went off. Yeah, that was getting a bit difficult. They, they, they then started rejecting all that stuff and we couldn't get them, we couldn't get them to take anything. We were kind of going, mm, what's going on? We've got, we like our games and the, the, the darlings that like them, you know, what we're we going to do. And at exactly this time, um, there was in, in the, in the, give all these little tweaky details in the next office to us where we were working it was a, there's an, le- an electronics company and there was a guy who used to hang around there called Dave Sykes. And he, he got a job at, um, a local company doing aeronautical stuff. Um, you know, you know, you ever seen how they work in, um, airport towers. They have these little strips on little, little paper strips. There are millions of them all over the wall. And they're, what they are is the the, the details of planes that are either going to land or take off or might have to land as a problem at at this particular airport. And they were, those things were all, they were all, um, even back in the eighties across the entire world, these things were hand entered and and prone to errors. This company called Bytron, which was local to here, it still exists, I think, quite big now. They, they decided to computerize this system. So me and Dave got the job doing that. So we went off to Humberside Airport, just just um, just down the road from here. And for a year or so, we did that. Um, quite a spring- leap
0: from making yeah, yeah. budget games for Codemasters to um, yeah. almost people's lives being under your software's control did you did you feel a bit of a pressure from that
1: um not really <laughs> not really no. I, I, it was just I another think, game i think, <laughs> I think it, well, it was easier in a way because it was just high, high level stuff you know it was easier than assembly language it was like what they called. what do they call them was like some fourth they had some word for it fourth gen software development or something back then it was it was dead easy it was just it was child's play really. And I think they te- I think they tested all this stuff a bit before they put it out there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> nobody died anyway. As as good, good We never we never got into trouble for anyone dying, so it must it must have been okay. So
0: that that was a a year long or so contract, you say? Did were you were you tempted off the back of that to maybe veer into business software and and see where that took you?
1: No, no. no. I think I was getting getting pretty bored at that point, okay. pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and the only fun we had. It, there was lots, lots of in this form. There was lots of fields, and a couple of them were never were never actually used. So we put our initials, we put our initials in these in these unused. So at one point, for like probably five or six years, every single flight that took off in the entire world had had me and Dave's initials hidden um, in, uh, in what was called the no, the notam data. So that, that was that was about as much fun as we got from from all of that. But then uh, Charles rang me up from. Um, from Activision where he was at that point, he'd moved from US Gold to Activision. He ran me up and said, Hey, I think I might be getting back into, into doing my own thing. Let's meet up in Wales, where his his mother had, uh, still has a cottage, very, very North, North Wales, middle of nowhere. So we all, me and Dave trundled down there, see what he was talking about. And, uh, he showed his suit, Larry <laughs> and, and said, can you beat this? Can you do this? Can you? Can we do something better? And, then, and we said, yeah, quite easy, you know. And that was the that would have been. was that? nineteen eighty nine, and that was that was the start of what became revolution.
0: Okay, so around about nineteen eighty nine, and was it four founders in total that came together?
1: It was yeah. There was me and Dave Sykes. There was Charles and uh, a lady called Noreen. Karl Moddy, who Charles would would go on to marry fairly soon afterwards. Okay. Uh, okay. And they they were the power behind revolution, really, and mean, you, it was their their did, company.
0: Yeah. And did you have a defined role in the company, or was it just a case of let's form the company and we'll figure that out later?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of figure it out. I mean, I was I was uh, employee number one, and I started. I just realised this actually. I started first of March. 1990 which is nearly 30 years ago isn't it wow coming up uh so i started first um back back here in Hull and and the job was just to just to write an engine to do to do Larry games sierra type stuff but there was no uh, there was no plan for a particular game it was just write some software first write an engine you know
0: Okay, so in Sierra, you had um, AGI, wasn't it? And in LucasArts, it was the Scum system. So you were
1: trying to right, create yeah.
0: an authoring tool of, of that type, were you?
1: No, not an authoring tool. No, just an engine. Yeah, we, just we an engine, Yeah, okay. yeah we hadn't figured out that there might be such a thing as, a, as an authoring tool to help you um, make the content at that point. <laughs> that would come much later.
0: Okay, so it was, it was to create an engine with a Leisure Suit Larry type of game in your sites? Uh, and and that was that was dictated by Charles, was it from the beginning? We're going to be an adventure game company,
1: pretty much, yeah. And I guess that must have come from well, they they must have been looking at what was selling down at Activision. I think Activision were handling Sierra stuff in Europe, and I guess they saw that it was doing quite well, uh, as it was for quite a while. Um, I guess Charles then said, "Well, I know this stuff from Adventure B, C, and D back back a few years earlier at Arctic." So, all these things came together and, um, and it was like, what can we do to beat it, you yeah. know? And I think one of the things, oh, well, yeah, we might have also seen, we might have been down at some, some micro fair thing in London and we saw, um, level nine with demoing, who, who I greatly admire, um, level nine with demo, demoing, uh, a Raj game it was like set in, set in India or something. Uh, and I, and I think this game may have come out. I don't know. There's, some people say they've seen it and i think I, I i've always thought that this game actually never made it um to market before level nine disappeared but what they had was people coming and going they were like it was like a ground you know like a grand convention and you, you think literally Larry, it's like it, every every location is 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 a single unit of gameplay really yeah
0: you go there's to no, the bar there's, there's, no, there's a barman there. and yeah, he doesn't go anywhere yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's basically a series of rooms. Uh, and I think what this level nine game was doing was, was having a few people walk around in and out of the rooms. And we sort of, we looked at that as a possible cue as to what we could do to, to, you know, beat the Sierra games that were, were dominant from a technical point of view. There was, there was no, there was no game um, specified at this point, but you know, technically what could we do? So we sat, we sat. Me and Dave sat because Dave joined like a month later. We sat in Hull and We occasionally went to Wales just because we just because we could, um, and, and drank red wine and worked all night on this on this engine. And what we wrote was what we called the Zen Garden, which was um, it was basically three three locations where, where which I'd drawn the graphics for. Uh, there was a hut with a door, and there was um, some cactus things. And and you had a character, and you could you could basically stand outside this hut. And you could t- you could, you'd, a contextual menu would pop up. This was our big idea, and you would tell the guy to go into the hut, collect the bottle. I think it was bottle of coke or something. Not bottle of wine, more likely. Come back out and drop it. And uh, and this is what this demo did. And, and this was this was what we were gonna. This was the basis of what we were gonna do. Uh, revolution to. Um, to, to beat the competition, and that and that system was called Virtual Theater. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And is that the system that grew and grew to to be the foundation, the engine for all of those early games?
1: It was. It was. Yeah. It was the, that that demo um, became *Lure of the Temptress*.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, so you just built and built That's... and built on that demo until you yeah, had yeah. *Lure of the
1: Temptress*. It, wow, eventually, okay. yeah. Eventually, someone said, "Let's. What should we do? Let's write a dungeon game." And we started yeah because we started off with the cell so it was quite you know that that cell was the first the temperature cell was our first real location and and and, you know it made sense to 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 start that way and and you know single location find the key or whatever it was and then oh yeah the score guard he would walk around he would and you could look through the window and see yeah that was that was our big thing you could look through the window and you could see the score guard he would he would you'd walk past and you could see that that, that proved that the world was working as a, as a larger element.
0: Yeah. I remember you using that a lot in your marketing material that this was a living, right. breathing world. The, you know, the NPCs <laughs> were intelligent and they walked yeah, away yeah. It Was a big selling feature. It's, yeah,
1: it was. I mean, it, and, and people, people seemed quite impressed at the time. I and mean, now we'd go, what, what, what's good about that? You know, not, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? But at, at the time we, we were quite pleased with it. Yeah
0: yeah can you remember what you were coding this on were you pcs or were you coding on amigas at this point
1: um they the, the temptress right there was no network i remember we we had an office and there was no network well, we went through a succession of flats um there's a warehouse of posh flats just down just down just out that window um and Dave, Dave lived in there, and we rented. We were in his flat for a while, and then we rented someone else's flat that we knew. And he went off sailing, so we rented his flat. So the office moved. Early Revolution moved around, whole all, all over the place, and it ended up in a in, in a sort of grotty but actual meant to be an office office <laughs> uh, on the high street. Um, so there's no network. We used to we used to get three inch, three and a half inch floppies, and we would throw them. <laughs> so, so quickly, someone needed a file. You would, and we developed this technique of you you would throw it with some accuracy. It would, the the disc would spin, and if you you had to catch it just right. And if you got it wrong, you can actually cut yourself quite badly on the um, the, the cover that goes. <laughs> so there's an element of danger in this in our, in our early networking system. And then we invented, yeah, you know, we had a big cupboard called the pigeon pigeon holes where effectively. Pigeon holes were like folders. So we had disks, disks with, with content on them, like sprites or whatever. They would all be in a particular place in this, uh, in the pigeonholes, And that was our early network and, and file storage system. And probably that was as good as it got for the we were It worked as a
0: system.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I think we were three, eight sixes. I okay. think we, we were on. Yeah. I think we had, do you remember, do you remember a system called PDS?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Right, I think there was a sixty-eight thousand PDS system which I might have been using for the for the Atari ST. I think I may be wrong about that. I think we used we used a PDS system, and I, I I would lead on the on the sixty-eight thousand um, versions of the game writing writing assembler. They would they would port it across the three 6 So we had a PC game. and We had um, Atari Amiga mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one. PC was slightly behind the uh, the uh, 68,000 code.
0: Yes, at that point, but uh, it quickly caught up. Um, but let's take okay. a trip down memory lane um, to, to some of the games that you created, including, so you had Lore of the Temptress that you've mentioned, um, and then Beneath a Steel Sky, the Broken Sword series, Cold Blood, a little bit later, um, all of which I've played except for the latter. I have to say I haven't tried Cold Blood, so I'm going to go back and, and try that. If you recommend, that's that's still worth a play today.
1: It, it was an interesting one, is Blood, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was basically quite a it was a huge game. It's quite a good game with a with a. Um, I suppose I mean what they say is that the, the the control interface is not very good. So it was like direct control, but not not entirely what it should be. So it was a little. I think a lot of people gave up trying to play it. It
0: was um, a bit like a, a kind of alone in the dark style. Tank controls was it? I
1: think it was exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, there were a few games before we get to Cold Blood. Um, but out of all the things that you did at Revolution, is there is there any one game that you would consider to be your your baby, or any that you cherish a little bit more than the others, or did they all uh, take a part of you equally?
1: Good, good question. I and mean, they're all they're all difficult and good in different ways they're all, all very different all very different in the way they were developed i mean i i don't remember lure the temperatures being all that difficult i mean it dragged on a bit but not not too badly i, I don't remember it being being so hard actually but then then we started almost immediately we started uh, we had the we had the, the whole mirsoft thing in the middle of this as well the whole robert maxwell um falling off the boat thing that that allowed us to. Well, it was a bit of a godsend in a way because I think we were running out of, <laughs> maybe not for Mr. Maxwell, but we I think we were running out of time in advance on on lure uh, and then and then uh, the Microsoft thing happened and we and we managed to jump ship, get out of that contract and um, and, and re-sign with Virgin, via some of the same people. Who had also left and gone, so the, the project basically went went along with certain people from Microsoft to, to Virgin. I think we that allowed us to sign a new deal and get a new advance, which which allowed that game to be finished. I mean, it was it was pennies compared to, to what games are written for these days, but I guess the team was eight people, so they they all had to be paid, you know, um, to some to some extent. Um, and that that one i don't i don't remember it being difficult but then immediately we started um, steel sky which was i guess it was bigger and more and more coherent than than lure but it was much much harder was for some reason it was very hard it was it was um, beneath steel sky um but i'd say yes that's, that's that's one of my favorites certainly i mean it's less it's less known but um it, it, it it's a good you look at it it's kind of and it has a kind of completeness. It's, it's, it's small and there's nothing really bad about it. And, and what, what we did, it, it all works quite well. It's, it's, it's a.
0: It's a thing of beauty, you know, in its, mm. in its own. It is. And that beauty, I, I, uh, I'm pleased to say I didn't pirate it. I went out and bought my own boxed copy back in the day for my Amiga. And that beauty extended to the packaging itself. It was this lovely sort of matte black box and all the, the comic, I think, that was inside it and everything. It was, it was yeah, a yeah. lovely package. And, of course, that all, was all part and parcel of you having um, comic artist Dave Gibbons involved in the project. So that's do, right. do you know how that collaboration came into being with Dave Gibbons?
1: That is a good question. I don't know at good. all. Okay. Where did, where did Dave, I remember him coming up. He used to come, come see us quite a lot, quite a lot, and uh, he, he was a lot of fun. He had lots of good jokes, you know. And he was, uh, what was his joke? He, he, but yeah, he, he had a comic idea for um, something called Prambo. Prambo. So instead of Prambo, <laughs> it, it was Prambo, and basically it was a gun. It was like a baby pointing a gun at the pram saying, don't push me. Yeah. He was telling his jokes like that he, he was a lot of fun with they but where did he come from I don't know I don't know how he okay so did he have a
0: natural interest then in video games was he just about because he Well, i think he them? did
1: hmm. I think he I think he did because uh, I think he would have been you know this is before he was famous and before the watchman was was like as well renowned as it is now I think it was probably after the watchman but um we'd have to look that up but it, it almost certainly was but I think he was you know he he was he was maybe looking at Comics has not been a long term thing, and maybe thinking oh sorry, graphic novels rather and uh, thinking maybe video games was something that was going to be bigger and more interesting, so he was probably looking to to learn about um video games I imagine that was his motivation with the with the steel sky thing
0: yeah, it was a different time actually, wasn't it, because we'd had Batman the movie then had come out that was the, the first film to come out with a 12th certificate i think it was at the time in the early 90s but we didn't have that huge market for the the graphic novel um movies that we have now it's a it's a very different time
1: um so i yeah. don't
0: blame him for thinking oh, maybe i need a plan b <laughs> yeah
1: yeah well that's what everyone was doing that's what publishers were doing you know they were uh, everyone everyone was jumping into video games but no one really knew where it was going or and no one knew what they were doing either
0: mm-hmm so um, how challenging was it then for you to to come up with a, mate, a, a way to make your games stand out? Because um, collaborating with a comic book artist is obviously a good way, but I imagine simply being original in the games that you create is as difficult as any of the technical challenges, just, just coming up with original game ideas. Um, did you have sort of uh, brainstorming meetings or, or, or where did the inspiration come from to to get the seed of a game at, at Revo- revolution?
1: Uh, I, well, I guess there are two, there, are, there, are, there are two sort of major, major areas of design. And one is one is fantasy type stuff, which is, you can go that way in, in which case you can work with lower the temptress, or you can go, let's do the sci-fi thing, which is, which is technology instead of magic. And, and, uh, and that's, that, that's what we, what we'd flip to on the second game. And, and out of that came Steel sky, um, where the exact initial ideas for it came from, I'm not sure, but I remember the, the, the first design was, was, was written. We got this, my, myself and a guy called Dave Cummins who had joined, um, probably early Steel Sky, uh, from Activision. He was like, he was like a writer with a very good sense of humor. And, and the two of us were dispatched to Wales once more to, to spend a week trying to write the first, the first design. Cause I think there was nothing. I think we had, I think we had. How about Australia? How about um, how about future cities that are fighting each other, or something like that, and, and the sort of dystopia and depression and um, this this kind of Blade a type thing. But there was nothing more coherent than that. And I, and I think I think me and Dave pretty much wrote the first draft from nothing of what the game might be, um, and a lot of it was. A lot of it was my ideas, and a lot of it was Dave's. Um, you know, like the, the Anita character, I remember as as one of mine. Um, I had her as a drug addict, and all this kind of thing, which which she kind of was in the game. And and we just we went from nothing to spending a week in Wales, and we we came back with a draft of like this happens, this happens, this happens, and it was the it was from the beginning to the very end, and and that was enough to hand over to Charles, who who's. His great skill, I think, is seeing what's good and what's bad in in something written down, and, and refining it and optimizing it and and turning it into something worthwhile. You know, and he needed us to to he needed someone to go away and do that initial first, just just go from nothing to something, and the something being something he could then work on and refine.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the humor there, uh, which runs through all of the games, whether it's that dystopian backdrop of Steel Sky or the quite historically heavy uh, broken sword. There's always humour running through it, uh, which is quite common through you know Lucas and Sierra games as well. Um, did that come naturally to you guys when you were writing these things?
1: Some of it did, yeah. I mean, we were all we were kind of messing around, and we thought we we had this kind of um, eight bits eight bit programmer in the bedroom kind of sense of humour, and and we'll just do what the hell we like kind of thing and and, and, a, and a lot of the i mean i think the the authenticity of those early games is, is what came from that environment uh you know we just we just didn't really think whether it was the right thing to do if it, if it amused us we did it and uh, we we thought that, that that would be the people we were writing for would understand it because they were the same as us you know they they that was that was what you that was what you had to be into to like our games and there seems to be enough people out there to 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 make it worthwhile. So we, we we didn't really think any wider than that. We just did what we thought was funny.
0: Yeah, it was never forced.
1: Yeah, and 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 Dave Cummins had a real knack for it. I mean all of the best lines in in Broken Sword and Steel um, Still Sky with Dave Cummins, you know, he he really did um, he really did have a talent for for witty, witty remarks.
0: And uh, you did manage to slip a few little Easter eggs and things like that in there. I know there's a, a Warner branded safe in Broken Sword that you got in there. Um, are there any other Easter eggs or or game graffiti?
1: I think I think the Warner safe is the director's cut, isn't it? I don't think that's in. The, I don't think that's in the original. Oh, okay, that's in the later release. That's in the later one, yeah, the 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 the, the, uh, the much later thing. I think that the artist just wrote just wrote it on the safe. Right? For, for a bit of a laugh and it kind of it kind of slipped through. But yeah, we were we were always hiding we were always hiding Easter eggs. I mean it was I mean my, my argument was that we should actually be designing them in because people love Easter eggs and it should be part of the design. Uh we never quite got we never quite got away with that, so we just did them anyway. Um you know like the spider and sword two the spider that kills you in the chair if you if you trigger that one. I mean, I just, I did that on the last day of the project and I just thought it'd be fun to do it. So I just got an artist to draw a spider and didn't tell him what it was for. And, um, sorry, I, I got an artist to, the spider was already there. I said, it wouldn't be funny if it jumped up at you and someone drew it for me. And I just, I just put it in because I had, I had half an hour, half an hour of this there. Literally on the last day of the project, because we, we finished it on our lunchtime and um, we, we had the afternoon. So we put some Easter eggs in, you know.
0: Well, that must have been testament to the engine and, and the development of the engine at that point that you could just throw something in at the last minute for a bit of a joke, you know, and it didn't take too long to put it in
1: there. Yeah, well, if you've got if you've got a quite a good system, then uh, uh, you know you should be able to put stuff in. And it, my, my argument was always that if if it was easy to implement things, then the game would be better because it, it, you would you would experiment and you would you would try things, and that's that's where the creativity gets put down. You know, I think the problem with modern games is they're all pre-designed on 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 paper, and then the, the actual production is it literally is a production line. So you know, the 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 tweaky little things, as we used to call them, the, the fun things, they, they never get done because um, it's all too professional. Hmm. Hmm. There's nothing there was nothing professional about the way we were making these games, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's why these things got put in, you know.
0: And uh, with the creativity, was your creativity ever encroached upon by the publishers making certain demands or requests? Um, I know, for example, *Lure of the Temptress* wasn't originally called *Lure of the Temptress*, and, and I think that came from a request from Virgin when you moved over to them.
1: Yeah, I mean that was that was very close to the end. I mean that was like ninety percent of the way through it, and, and then we were looking for names for the, it was it was unnamed, and they someone down there for. The, the temptress sounds like a lot, a lot of fun. We could market that, you know. Um, yeah. uh, and as you'll have heard, Charles say there was there wasn't there yes. wasn't no temptress in an
0: interview. He did, yeah. There was no luring, and there was no temptress. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: was, and there was well, there was, there was never any luring, but, <laughs> but we managed to get <laughs> we managed to get a temptress in. Um, it was a good name, to be honest. To be fair to, to be fair to those guys, they you know they had a they had a, a pretty memorable name. And it could have been something very, very vague and generic, but a little tempestuous, it just sound quite good. So, um, it, it, it was a good name.
0: And when it came to Cold Blood, uh, which was released in 2000, I understand that Sony approached you to make that game um, for their platform. Is that right?
1: Yeah, this was. I mean, this was after all the Broken Sword stuff, and what 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 we were getting from. I mean, the company grew quite big, and under Virgin, Virgin had this. I mean, to go back a little bit. They, they, they had this idea: was if, if they pumped a lot of money into an adventure game, you know, how how well could it sell? How successful could it be? So, Broken Sword was an experiment by by Virgin, basically, and they 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 basically threw as much money as we needed out at, at this game to make it as good as possible, and, and then they would try and see what they could do with it. And I think I think initially, although it reviewed very well and sold and sold pretty well. You know, they were used to a hit being something like Resident Evil, which is what they had posters of all over their walls down in down in London at Virgin. And, and you know that that game sold a lot, of, a lot of copies. And um, I think an adventure game, our games, they would sell, they would get re- good reviews, they would they would sell, and they would keep on selling. But they didn't get this big, massive top of the chart spike with 10 million copies going out on the first weekend, and, and they were disappointed by this. Uh, and then they started inventing. Lots of reasons why uh, you know we, we were doing the wrong thing and this, that, and the other, and then a Broken Sword two, they said right, we need to recoup. We spent we spent way too much money on Broken Sword one. We want we want some of it back. So you've only got half the budget and half the time to do Broken Sword two, and and we actually we just Broken Sword one finished and we went straight on to Broken Sword two, and a and a year later it came out. You know it was it was the most it was the most organised and professional thing we ever did. I think to get that game out exactly on the right day. But then the whole Virgin thing disappeared because they got bought by or sold by um, spelling entertainment in the States because they because the US side as often happens, the US office drags down the the more successful European side, because Virgin Virgin were quite innovative and and quite quite, they had quite a good bunch of people over here in London. But I think the US side was was not as well run. So that that Basically it was collapsing on the US side as, as the same in the same way that Activision went, uh, so we, we had to part company with them, and then uh, yeah the, the, yeah the thing was we'd, we'd been able to port the broken sword games to PlayStation One, and it had done very well and I think the Sony people then came along and said, "Hey, we really like your stories, we like what you, you know the way you work and the characters you come up with and all sorts of stuff." We just, you know, adventure games—they're they, just not—they're not after. Adventure games are going down. You know, it's a dying, dying genre. Why don't you just—why don't you do what you do, but not, but not a pure adventure? You know, and that's where that's where In Cold Blood came from, which was which was kind of compromised by us wanting to do just another adventure and then wanted to do um, Metal Gear Solid, you know, with with, with different characters. So it was the game was pulled this way and that, and probably not 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 managed too well, which is how it how it slipped. I mean, what what we produced was a was a hybrid, half adventure, half not an adventure. You know, and the not an adventure part of it was probably not as well all through as it as it as it could have been, which which is what gave us this slightly wonky UI, and and the kind of great adventure game, bursting to get out. You know
0: and it came out on the pc as well so i'm assuming sony didn't ask for exclusivity or did you have to push back against that
1: uh that's a good question i think they maybe just gave us that okay yeah yeah they probably just gave us it and and i think they i think they didn't care to be honest in the same way that i mean the very odd thing was the virgin didn't care about the playstation one and and it sold as many on playstation as um, as it did on on the any the other formats like the pc you know so it was very, it was very profitable for 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 Sony, who just sh- who shifted a lot of copies for, for not spending. You know, they didn't develop it, so it was just a game that landed landed in their laps. You know, and it was good for Revolution as well because we we earned, Virgin let us let us earn the royalties. You know, so it was like having a game, it was like having an expensive game, Broken Sword, and you know, a, a, a two million pound video game with which we could just put onto PlayStation with no advance to recoup. You know, so so we did very well from it as well.
0: The expectation of what a game should be rose more and more with time. So we went from text adventures to pixel art, basic sound to voice acting. In the case of Broken Sword, we went from 2D to 3D uh, and then on to Cold Blood. Were there any transitions that you found more difficult than others as a game developer?
1: Uh, I think it was all OK until, uh, until they started saying you need to do 3D. That, that's when our problems really started. Yeah, 3D, because uh, you, you, I, mean, I mean, no one, no one cares these days. You can you can do a decent game in in pixel art or or, or 500 million dollars worth of rendered rendered assets. You know, I, I think people people generally don't care if the game is good. You know, you look at something like Stardew Valley. I mean, there's there's no graphic tech there, but it's 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 sold because of what it does. You know, and that's that's the the beauty of the age we live in now. But I, I remember a time where the magazines wouldn't give you a good review if you were not 3D, you know, and that was the play. That's what the PlayStation One basically ushered in. Uh, you know, it was the death of 2D, uh, and you were seen as old hats and behind the times if you were if you were interested in 2D still, as we would, would rather have been, you know. So that that transition to 3D was very difficult for us, and uh, you know, it was quite a painful one in cold blood getting getting to that point. Cause we had a go at doing voxels. We thought what we really want is a 3d Sprite. Um, and we knew someone, uh, a tech, a real techie guy who, who, who reckoned it could be done. And we spent quite a lot of time trying to do a 3d Sprite, literally made of, of little tiny square. I mean, you mean people do it these days and you see, it, you see it done, but you know, back, back in whenever it was the nineties, it was, it was not, it was never going to work, you know, on, on that level of, of um, of machine. So we we wasted a lot of time and, and effort trying to to do a 3D sprite, and it would because that because that would that would let us say you know here we are we, we, it's the same thing you know it's a 3 da 3D sprite is what we wanted to do. We didn't want a 3D model made of polygons because we didn't know about it. Yeah, we we just didn't want to go that way. Just partly because the way it looked, and, and we just weren't weren't comfortable with any aspects of that. You know, we were never a tech company in in that in that sense. So that was a very difficult transition, and, and it. It nearly killed us, you know.
0: Yeah, I guess the closest that ha- we came to that in the 90s was things like the NovaLogic engine, but the, the, the voxels were just for the terrain for the flight sims. And there was a game called Outcast towards the end of the 90s, which was a fantastic game. It was a bit like um, Stargate. Yeah, yeah. It was like the movie Stargate in a game, but still yeah, the yeah. characters were polygons. So uh, I don't think anyone cracked that. Yeah. No,
1: they don't. It's a people claim. Do you remember the Blade Runner game? Mm-hmm, yep. They, they, they made some outlandish claims about, um, that being a voxel sprite and it, it never was at all, but, um, there was, there was claims that it was, um, and it was, it was quite nicely lit, but it, it was never a voxel. You know, we were quite upset about that because <laughs> they were, they were saying, look at our voxel sprites. And we were going, it's not, it's not. Well, you know, we wanted to be able to rotate. We wanted to, to get George, you know, and, and have a three, basically said, if we want a 3D solid George and, and just rotate him round. And, and we actually had it in demo form when we had a 3D George. It looked just like George. It uh, was slightly lower res, but you he, he, he could rotate him around and he was solid, and the light fell on him. I mean, it was absolutely lovely, but you couldn't, you couldn't deploy it in a game. You know, it was it was too. It was it was just a tech demo, and we got we got very close, and it, it really was a thing of beauty. But um, and you could probably do it now. To be honest, you could probably say let's let's bring that tech back and do something really weird on on a pc and it would work but uh, back in back in those days n- no chance it was, it was never going to work and we had to very rapidly abandon it all and and do a bog standard polygon scheme you know
0: at the start when you started answering your last question they you, you started with they said we had to do 3d so who who were they publishers publishers okay so that was uh, yeah. a prerequisite of, yeah. of funding you would do this in 3D
1: absolutely but then you know we were, we were dealing with sony at that point and you you were, you were not going to try and do a, a 2D sprite game on a on a playstation as a as a third party sony game you know it's just, it's not it's not going to wash they're not, not going to go for that uh, it, it was it was only ever going to be absolutely standard 3D. I mean, the, the, of course, the backgrounds were pre-rendered, so we we had a we had a more we had a more interesting look because a lot of there a lot more polygons. And there was a, a billion polygons in in our backgrounds, and they were they were they were very nicely lit. And we we invented a system for rendering these these rooms out overnight, you know, and spitting out all the the 2D um, components necessary to, to 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 render behind and around the the, the normal full poly sprite you know of, of the characters to so the backgrounds i mean in that game it, it's still unusual we, st- we still did something different from, from what was the norm and that we we persisted with our 2d our sort of fake 2d 3d backgrounds so you know we, we we didn't we didn't fully compromise but um we still tried to do something interesting but but yeah they they was the publisher but also but also you know as to say the magazines you, there was there was a point where you 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 They'd, you'd be marked down for being 2D. You know, you, you had to be 3D because that's all they were interested in.
0: So if, if we fast forward now, um, we had Cold Blood in 2000. In 2009, we saw the re-release of Broken Sword, originally released in 1996, and this was released as a director's cut. So why did that re-release come about? How did we get there?
1: Well, I think first we'd done, we'd done a GBA version, hadn't we, which was... Um, for for bam entertainment who came along and said how about how about a broken sword on the on the gba and that was that was that predated the the director's cut and we they gave us an eight we had an eight meg cartridge so obviously you know we'd gone from like a a a two cd game or whatever it was onto 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 eight megs so that game was rewritten from scratch um and we basically we took that we took the, the graphics and the assets and we 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 hacked it down to get it into 8 megs and uh, that that was the only way we could do it and that that came out on the GBA and then I think later on uh I think Ubisoft came to us and said let's let's do something on the on the Wii um and probably the DS as well the Wii and the DS I think were the two platforms and they said, we'll throw some money at it, uh, but let's make it a bit more interesting. It needs to be, you need to have more. You know, we're not prepared to fund a new game, but we want a bit of a new game. So I think they, they said, we'll put some money in if you can, if you can add, somehow add to it. And what, and what we came up with was the director's cut, which which basically filled in a bunch of backstory around the original game. And I thought, I thought, you know, there's mixed, there's mixed feelings about that game for different reasons. But I think what we did with the story was actually quite good. I mean, I think what, I think learning what Nico was up to all the time when you were playing George in the first game was actually quite interesting and and it it was quite coherent as well. So, I mean, I'm quite pleased with that. Uh, I thought we did well on that. And then
0: uh, if we fast forward to um, 2003, uh, oh no, we're going back to 2003 now, sorry. Um you'd actually released Steel Sky and Lure of the Temptress as freeware, which was very generous of you. Uh why did this happen?
1: Uh that happened, I think, because um I suspect we hadn't really thought about it much, but we 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 got approached by the Scum VM people. Okay. Uh, a guy called Joseph Peters, I think he wrote just sent us an emails saying, Can we, you know, can we have the source code? Um and we can, we can keep these games alive. And we, we couldn't see any reason not to do it, to be honest. Um, it just seemed, you know, they weren't, they weren't really selling at that point. Um, they were, they were, it seemed like a, a good, a good idea to do it. And we were, we were always very keen to, to, to keep people happy, you know, fans and stuff like that. And, um, and I think the VM people told us that you know the normal response from from American companies is that you'll get you get a legal letter back from their internal counsel saying, you know, don't even think about this cease and desist or we'll we'll terminate you you know, and and you know that'll be the end of you. Basically, we'll come and we'll come and kill you. Uh, and we thought we'd we'd do we do the absolute you know they were very aggressive because internal counsel what they. They they just look for things to attack, you know. That's, that's is is an aggressive sort of corporate stance. And someone wants to take our source code and make a free game, you know, it, it must be some evil that they're doing and planning to 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 defile our rights, you know. So they were they were always very aggressive rebuttals from American companies. Um, but we we just thought, hey, it sound, sounds cool. You know, what's 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 the downside for us? And we couldn't really see one, so we gave them the we gave them the assembler sources to which we still had amazingly enough for us to to steal Sky and they they put it onto ScumVM. I mean, that game still lives today, mostly because of that decision, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it paid off, you know, it absolutely paid off.
0: We are fortunate enough to have some of the ScumVM team booked for an upcoming interview so we can find out a bit more of that side of the story and any approaches that they've had rebuffed. Certain games
1: and, and what they. Yeah, well, to I hope get. it's true. I hope it's true what I just told you. <laughs> we'll find out.
0: We'll find out. It's, um, Revolution has a heritage and history, but it, it's not consigned to the history books because, uh, unlike many companies uh, and people that we get to interview and and talk to on this channel, uh, you're still going strong because a new game is in development
1: right now. Uh, well, I don't know very much because I'm not okay. I'm not part of it. So, um, uh, I mean, I I. Uh, I was last there a couple of years ago and, uh, it was, it was basically kicking, kicking off that project. And, uh, you know, Dave, Dave Gibbons was back, but, uh, he was very much, I'll take a very, very high, high overview on it and, you know, lend my name to it and this kind of thing. And, and you know, he's, he's a good creative person to have around, but he wasn't, he wasn't as involved or going to be as involved as, um, he was in the original one, but I, you know, at that point. This was, this came after uh, well, a very difficult development process on Broken Sword Five, um, which which wasn't particularly enjoyable for various different reasons, and it kind of the whole thing looked a little bit to me like it's going to go the same way. And I wasn't I wasn't so sure about the design either on on the New Steel Sky. I, I I didn't think three D was the way to go. What would be the way to go? I'm not. I wasn't. I wasn't sure either. So. I, I was quickly in a, in a bit of a min- minority on that one, but I, re- I really didn't want to go through the kind of experience that *Brink* sort of five was. So, you know, I I I pretty much exited from from that project probably I don't know two and a half, maybe three, maybe even three years ago now. So I've I've not actually seen it. I, I know very little about it. But they're they're calling it they're calling it *Beyond the Steel Sky*, which I thought which I also thought was wrong. It should have been because we know which *Steel Sky* it is. So it should have been *Beyond the Steel Sky*. So, you know, That's true. nothing, yes. <laughs> nothing looked, to me, nothing looked right. And you know, even the title was wrong. So um, I, I excuse myself from uh, being part of that one.
0: Okay. So what did you go on to do after that then, after uh, Broken Sword 5? Did you find employment elsewhere?
1: Uh, well, you, you, of sorts, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, Sort of taught myself some new stuff, um, brought myself up to date. So I, just, I did some unity, um, unity stuff and, uh, messing around with it. And then I got a job for a while, helping a, an education company in London. And that was, that was through the guy originally way back, I think it probably 2008, two guys came to see us in a revolution from Apple. And they, they, they were saying iPhone is the, it's the next big thing and, uh, it seems extraordinary now that you'd be sitting around, kind of weighing it up and thinking, is, is this iPhone thing, is it going is it really going to take off? You know, and this app store, is it is it really going to be really going to be good? But we, we they kind of said they were pretty pretty determined to get us to do Broken Sword for um, iPhone, and we said, well let's let's start you know let's start um, it, it, it with with Steel Sky because it'd be simpler. Um, so we did, you know, what, what really saved revolution and got it, got it really back up and because it, it, it was down, it was, you know, it was nothing for a long time after the PS1 era, after Inco, but it was, it was, it was not, it was not really functioning the way it used to as a, as a proper company. And and the iPhone was what, what saved revolution and brought it back to the fore, you know, and allowed it to start doing what it wanted to do again. Um, but anyway, one of those guys, one of those Apple guys that actually came to see us up in, up in New York, he, he, he. He rang me up and said, what, well, do you want to come and work for me for a while doing, doing this educational game? Um, so I did that for a year or so. Um, and in between that, I've been writing a game of my own, which is coming along very slowly as these things do. And I'm working for also on Unity, a uh, company in Canada called Shifty Eye Games, who, um, have been involved in some of the, the more recent, um, apple arcade titles
0: okay okay and- so i'm
1: kind of i'm kind of doing that thing that, that kind of stuff to all interesting and um, you know learning learning more up-to-date skills and and you know the modern world away from away from 2d adventures uh, so that's that's been that's been very useful
0: and what can you tell us about the game that you just mentioned there that you're working on is that still under a shroud of secrecy or can you tell us anything about that
1: well i mean there's not it's it's very much a tech demo at the moment there's nothing there's nothing to show or 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 really to um to 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 get too excited about i i guess but um, you know my, it goes back to my my favorite thing was was steel sky and I, and i've always thought the best thing in steel sky was where uh, at the very beginning you're carrying your Joey board and you find an old robot shell and you, and you shove the board in it and Joey comes to life and, you know and he's he's got this personality and he, he he's he's most upset with the, the shell you put him in and, and throughout the game he gets upgraded and, and, and has lots to say about his, his particular status at any given time. And I thought that I thought that process of building a robot was was just really great. Um and I've always I've always loved that. So the game I'm working on is it's back back with the old um um uh, arcade adventure genre from the eighties. Um or what or what what more commonly gets called um Metroidvania these days. So I'm kind of of producing something in that that kind of space based upon, you know, building robots and having them all having strong personalities. But then you get into big fights with more robots. And and, uh, if you win, you get to pick up all the bits, recombine them into into a slightly better one, take your robot AI board out, stick it into the new bots, and, you know, you move on to the next thing that's um, slightly harder. But at the same time, you're solving puzzles. In, in an adventure like way and you've got your adventure and you've got the humor, you've got the characterization which is missing from so many games i think um so it's 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 like an adventure, but it's you know it's not as restricted in in that in that sort of two d space, but you it's not 3D. Can't,
0: can't go wrong with fighting
1: robots Absolutely. fighting robots, but yeah <laughs> pulling them apart and and, and and building them back again that's 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 the bit I like you know
0: so just before we. Before we wrap up, Tony, um, just thinking back uh, across all the games that you've worked on at Revolution, because you've got a record of great success with the games that came out. I know you say you don't have the peaks, but you've had consistent success with, with those adventure games. Um, what do you attribute the success to?
1: I think it's, I think it's, um, people, people just like the feel of the games. I think it's, I think we wrote these, these, these characters that people liked and scenarios that people liked. You know, there was never any great tech there. We were never a technology company. Uh, it was just, it was just the humor and the, and the, and the scenarios and the characters. And, and I think that's what's missing from a lot of modern games. You know, there are bits, there are still, even the big ones with, with near infinite budgets, you know, they, that, that quirkiness, which which you get from a bunch of people who've 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 got together and and they're just sort of jamming it out, you know. I think I think that's almost improvising. There's a lot of improv in 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 Steel Sky and, and Broken Sword, and uh, and you don't get that when it's when it's a big production uh, up in up in a, an office with five people in Canada. You know, it's just it's not the way it's done. Um, so you get a different kind of a different kind of game comes out comes out of modern development, and I think um what what made the early revolution games very strong was was they were just being jammed together, you know, and so and so that's that in in a way I'm you know I've, I've identified that as something interesting that we did, and, and I'm thinking how can you get that back, you know, so the, the game that I'm writing I, I want to get that 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 sense of fun, you know, that sense of Authenticity that comes from just just putting the thing down and see what comes out of it, you know, mm-hmm. and not caring about the rules. There are no the rules. Just 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 do something that makes makes you makes you laugh, you know. That's mm-hmm. how games should be made.
0: You're making video game
1: jazz. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I mean, I don't know anything about music, but I, I imagine when people write um, people in a band when they write songs, you know, it, it 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 probably hasn't changed that much. And you you just jam these things out, and that's where. That's when, that's when music and, and video games are, are probably different. And I, and I think it's it's a shame that, that they're not made that way. So, you know, and maybe the best ones, the ones that, that do well in the BAFTAs and, and, and sell lots of copies that in the indie world, they, may, they maybe are being made that way. And that, that's what makes them interesting. So, you know, that, that's what I'm doing for myself
0: wonderful wonderful well thank you so much for your time today um and for all of the games that you've helped to create tony um where can we Welcome. follow you are there any uh, twitter handles or anything like that you'd like to share
1: twitter yeah just t- just tony warren or twitter yeah
0: tony thank you very much
1: sir thank you
0: If you enjoy my content and would like to support the cave while receiving a completely ad-free experience and access to releases one week before they go public, then visit patreon.com forward slash retro man cave and join the official cave dwellers. Thank you for your support.